we're going to get just jump right in for the sake of time. And so, good good morning to all those that are watching online. Is uh, is Miriam here? Welcome back, my friend. It's wonderful. All right, so it's good to see you all. Um, and uh, we'd love to get into the word this morning, but I want to make an announcement real quick. Uh, we've grown. We continue to grow. <laughs> and when those at home come back, I'm not sure where they're going to sit. And uh, we've had some people standing at the back, and we had this problem before COVID, and it's arising again. And so with that comes a lot of new faces, new people, new relationships to build, new people to grow in, into community with. And what we've noticed is that there's a lot of people that have come that actually have an established ministry, you know, have nothing to do in a sense with, with us as free life, but they have an established ministry either to the poor or into DC or into just, there's many of you. And so if that's you, let your ears hear what I'm about to say. We would love to have an evening where those who have an established ministry, not trying to shoot down your dreams, but I'm not talking to those who have intentions. Those are awesome and God maybe have put them in your heart, but those who have an established ministry already, we want to have an evening on, um, when is it? On April 7th, which is only in two weeks, less than two weeks, about 10 days. So we just wanted to give you a little bit of warning. Here, we want to have a meeting here and we just want to talk to you. We just want to invite all of those who have ministries that are in the body or that have been in the body for a while, whether you've officially joined or not, it doesn't matter. Just those who have ministries, we would love for you to come out Wednesday, April 7th, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. And we just want to talk to you because we've seen so many people that have kingdom hearts and have uh, a passion for God, a passion for the kingdom. And we just want to know, what are you doing in the kingdom? Let me just say this. I hate control. I've seen a lot of control in different church circles. I just don't like it. Amen? I don't like it. And Sorry, what was that? We're all out of it, yeah. So I just um, want to invite you. We don't want to partner with you. We don't want you to come under us, partner in a sense that now you have to give us money or we have to give you money. None of all that stuff. We want to hear about what is your heart for the kingdom. We want to speak to you about our heart for the kingdom. We want to make people aware and we want to work together out of relationship. Simple. Amen? Simple. So if you have a ministry, yeah, you can clap to that. If you have a ministry... Please, if you please come, if you're leading that ministry, please come Wednesday, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. April 7th. And I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about the kingdom. We've actually had a, a, a couple in the church that have been in the church for a while. And when I took over, him and I met, and uh, they have a bunch of different things going on, a bunch of different ministries. And I said, I don't want any control over you. I don't want you to think you have to be under me. I don't want you to, I don't have to be on your board. I don't have to, any of that. I just want to partner with what you, what you do in the kingdom. And there's been such a partnership and such a freedom. Amen? And it's been wonderful. And so we want to just see that grow. And, you know, sometimes there's people in the body that have a desperate heart for the Lord and, uh, and a desperate heart for various aspects of the kingdom, like they want to really minister to the poor. And we have a person sitting on this side who has a, an entire ministry to the poor. I think that person wants to partner with them. Yeah? but they may not know. Hello? So, we good? We good. So, if that's you, I will explain more next week, but uh, I want to jump into this morning. This is what many know as Palm Sunday, and uh, I'm going to start by 
We're going to cover a lot of ground this morning. We're going to probably read more scripture than you have in a long time. And, um, well, <laughs> I don't know that. I meant on a Sunday. And, uh, but I want to start by saying this. Palm Sunday, I grew up in a Christian home. It's not something that I was aware of. It's not something, it's some, there are many days that people celebrate in the year, but the Bible clearly says in Colossians 2, there are no more holy days. Hello? I'll read it to you. <laughs> people are laughing, for those at home. And you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, that's before you were saved, you made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, that's the law, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing, that word, over them in it. So let no one judge you in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon Sabbath, which are sh shadow of the things to come, but the substance is Christ. The Bible also says, and I won't get into it now because it, it's not in the notes, but there's no more holy days, but there are people who follow prophetic calendars and those, and that's great. That's awesome. But whether you are aware today is Palm Sunday or not, I used to, you know, attend to come to some service and they'd say, today is this day. And I'd be like, oh, I never knew that. I, am I like a bad Christian? <laughs> no, you love Jesus, you're saved. That's awesome. You know, it, it's some people, we just, there's many different expressions. So there's no holy days. But for many in the Bible, I mean, for many in the church today, they celebrate Palm Sunday, which is the day many years ago that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Some people also call it Passion Week, which is the first of seven days of the passion of Christ up leading up to the cross. And for some people, that's so important, and that's awesome. For other people, they love the Lord saved. They're not really aware of that. That's awesome. They come from, let them be free and let them grow in who they are in God. Can we do that? All right. Saying that, I'm going to preach on Palm Sunday. <laughs> We're going to start in a strange place. I've never actually preached on Palm Sunday because of a desire in me, if I can be brutally honest, to break some religious things. And if you do say this and if you celebrate Passover and you do all of that, guys, that's wonderful. Really, that's wonderful. You'll know it's become a religious issue if there's a massive reaction if it's removed. That's how you know. But if you're actually Jewish, Messianic Jew, of course you're going to do all of that. Hello? Can we be friends? It's very quiet. You let us know, let me know at the end. Friends, there's freedom in Christ. You go to the, the Greek mythologists, the Greeks in the New Testament, who's Abraham? Who's Moses? We want Jesus. They'll learn all that stuff. They'll grow into all that stuff. They see the imagery, and, but Christ is the substance. Jesus Christ. So, we're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to do some teaching, then some preaching, then some teaching, then some preaching. We're going to look at culture. We're going to look at all various things. Some of the reason being is that God has just put it in my heart to what actually happened. You know, always to say what actually took place, what was happening on the ground. So I'm going to pray. Can we all pray together? Open our hearts to God's word. It will never pass away. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that this is your word. This is God-breathed. And we thank you that it is powerful and living. And we submit our hearts and our understanding to your understanding and to your scripture. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start with some, there's going to be different puzzle pieces today. Can, can you guys stick with me through this? And they'll come together at the end. We're going to start with Daniel chapter 9. And I know, again, there may be different interpretations of this, and that's fine. But Daniel chapter 9 is uh, Gabriel comes to, to, to Daniel, and he speaks to him about the, the length of the, of the exile, the Babylonian exile. And it's in verse 24. He says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins. This is not going to come up behind you. To make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring into everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy, to, and to anoint the most holy. So he's talking about how long you're going to be in captivity, in exile, Babylonian captivity. But then he says this to Daniel, Gabriel speaking. He says, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, in other words, until Christ comes, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall. So I don't have time to teach on all the prophetic stuff here. And this is my view. It may not be yours, and that's okay. It doesn't actually matter. The reason I'm saying this is because this would have been the view of some of the people in Jesus' day. Okay? That's why I'm going into it. And some of the people in the crowd that we will see, they would have had this view. And he says, from the time that a command goes forth, and then he talks about the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the wall, which happened with Nehemiah and Ezra. Okay? So, but he says, from the time, it'll be seven weeks. Now, week prophetically here is seven years, a year per day. Okay? So, seven weeks and then 62 weeks. All right? So, we're not going to get too much into it. Have the figures come up behind me. So 49 years, that's the first period, then 62 weeks, that's the second period. Now, if you add that together, that's 483 years. And he says, from the moment that a command goes forth to rebuild the temple, to rebuild Jerusalem, it'll be 483 years in a sense, and then the Messiah comes. Now, <laughs> you take that together, 483 years, just do a little bit of math. And you multiply it by 360, because in the Jewish calendar there was 360 days, not 365, another thing we can't go into now. But they took the lunar calendar of 354 days, and that's 365 of the sun, and it's a prophetic calendar, it's 360 years. Days, sorry. <laughs> People are like, let's help this guy. So you times, <laughs> a little bit of math, you guys good with math? God's into math. Read the Bible carefully. You'll see God's into math quite a bit. 483 years, which is 173,880 days. So in Nehemiah 2 verse 1, it gives you the time. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Art Artaxerxes, when the wine was brought to him, and there's a whole thing that you can go look in Nehemiah 2, he gives the command on that day. Now most of the time in the Bible, it says... On the 10th day in the 7th month, on the 10th day in the month of Chislev, on the month of... But when it doesn't give the day, culturally it was the first of that month. So we know from the first of Nisan, which was the Jewish calendar that month, the first month of the year, 
from in their calendar. So on the first of Nisan, the command goes forth, and it tells us in the 20th year of this king's reign. History, we know, 465 BC is when King Artaxerxes started to reign. So after he's reigned one year, it would be 464 BC, right? Because you go backwards to zero. So after 20 years of reigning, it would have been 444 BC. Are you all still with me? You guys are, what does they say, as sharp as basketballs. So, <laughs> 444 BC, all right, so what happens is that on the 1st of Nisan, 444 BC, the command goes out from this king, which Daniel says, from the moment the command goes out, the clock starts to tick, 173,880 days. Guess when that ended? The day Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Yeah, your prince will come. Jesus is known as the prince of peace. We get into this later. Uh, later. When a king rode a donkey in the Old Testament, it was peace, a horse meant war. Prince of peace will come to you on a donkey. It is that day, 400 years. I think it's in, in our calendar, it's March uh, 31st or March 30th, 33 AD was the day. Boom. <laughs> kind of cool. You can't make that up. So they, some of the people on the day would have known this. So I bring that a little bit for context. You may read it differently. That's great. But the math, that is exactly what happened, even in some of the commentaries. They'll go through all of this with you if you read some commentaries. So to put yourself on the ground in that day, there are some that are looking for the Messiah. There are some that are looking, where's the king? Where's the Messiah? He'll come today. And you know that is the first time and the only time that in a sense publicly that Jesus allowed the proclamation of him as the Messiah. Every other time he was like, no, be quiet. No, not now. No, this. No, my time has not come. All these things. But now they worship him. And he says, if you, don't, if you tell them to stop, the stones will cry out. Because it's this day. Yeah? And in Psalm 118, the crowd sees what's going on and they start to sing to Jesus. They start to sing Psalm 118. Hosanna to the son of David. Oh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's verse 24 and 20, uh, 25 and 26. But you know what verse 24 says? This is the day that the Lord has made. Who grew up with that song? This is the day. This is the day that the, we will rejoice. It was a prophetic saying, this one day. This day is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice. And they grabbed palm branches and laid their clothes. We will rejoice and be glad because the Messiah is revealed to Israel. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. So, I'm agreeing with myself. <laughs> so, now we're going to go. Please put your one finger in John chapter 12. We're going to be in John 12, John 11 too. But one finger in John 12, one in Matthew 21. Can I give you a little bit of context? Now, it's on the day. What's going on? What's been happening on the ground? Can we look at this together? I'm still giving you context, then we're just going to go through the story. John 11:53, verse, uh, verse 53 to 54, 
what's happened is Jesus is John 11, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. Now you can imagine this has caused a stir, especially among the religious leaders. You'll see today a massive battle from the religious system and the new, the old and the new clashed. In this week, Passion Week, very much. And I'm geared just by the way the Lord's made me. I got a prophetic word when I was 15 from the genuine article, Kerry Southey. She said, the Lord will raise you up as a hammer to smash religion, but to love Jesus. And so every, often when I read scripture, I see that battle. So we're going to look at a little bit of that today. So they've, he's raised Lazarus from the dead. It's called a stir. It, it, trouble is happening now for the Pharisees. How do they deal with this? How do they shut this down? And they're trying to shut this down. They're trying to stop this testimony from spreading. So that's the context. And verse 53 of John chapter 11 says, Then from that day on, they, they being the religious leaders, plotted to put him to death. That's Jesus. Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim and remained there with his disciples. Now if you flip with your finger, that is in John, I mean, sorry, Matthew 21, go back to Matthew 20. The wilderness or the country is actually known as is the, the Judean desert as far as up until Jericho. So he starts there in Ephraim, but here we see a different part of the story. Now in verse 29, Matthew uh, 2029 it says now as they went out of Jericho a great multitude followed him and behold two blind men are sitting by the road and they heard Jesus pass by and they cried out so what's happened is Jesus has left that area he's gone into Ephraim and Jericho in the Judean wilderness now they're all making all these people are going to start making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover okay so Jesus now was in Jericho so he's leaving and he's on the road for this pilgrimage to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Passover, which is a, a, a long time. So they go, all go, but all the pilgrims who are making that journey are now walking with Jesus from all that area. And they're seeing, as they go along the road with Jesus, the signs and the wonders and the miracles and the blind man. And they, hear, they heard of Lazarus. So more people wanted to come to the, to, the, to the Passover festival because they knew we've heard of the story of Lazarus, so we're going to go on a pilgrimage now to the Passover because we actually want to speak to Lazarus. The Bible says that. So there's this whole multitude, and as they go, it grows. And they're all walking to Jerusalem. Can you see that? It says, actually, if you go back to John now, verse 55, it says this. John 11:55. And so the pa and the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up from the country uh, from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they saw Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think that he will come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. So Jesus here, and I don't mean disrespect or disreverence, was an outlaw in the religious system. They were looking to seize him. And so some went before, six days before, to go through a purification process, and others came after, and it actually says that in, um, where does it say that? It says it's in Matthew 21, 9. It actually says this. It's very interesting. Are you guys still with me? It says in the middle of the story, it says the multitudes who went before and those who followed out after and those who followed. 
So some walked with Jesus, some came after, and some went before. But they all came from that region, and this multitude of people, they came to Jerusalem. Now, with that context, you guys with me? Let's go to John chapter 12. Then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was. Because he just raised Lazarus from the dead. He left. Now he's come back. But there's this multitude that's coming to the region, and many more still coming. Okay? Where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. They made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one who sat at the table with him. It's kind of a nice thing to do. Jesus raised me from the dead. I'm going to take him to dinner. It's like, thank you for making me alive. All right? So they have this party. They have this celebration, this honor for Jesus. But can I just say this? When you received a power encounter from Jesus, when, or when, when you become saved, when Jesus touches your life, when he marks you, you are now as one who sits at the table. It's very important to understand. Because of what Jesus had done to Lazarus, not because of anything Lazarus had done, now he's at the table with Christ. Hello? And it's like that for every single one of you. And he says this, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. So here again, then Mary, Lazarus' sister, Mary does something extravagant. She takes, and it'll tell you, it's a year's worth of salary. She takes a yearly wage. That's how much that stuff costs. How much is your yearly wage? Don't shout it out. <laughs> and she takes something that's worth that much and pours it out onto Jesus' feet. Think about this in the room. Gets down on her knees and begins to wash his feet with her hair. Extravagant worship. Worship with abandon. And it makes people uncomfortable here, and it makes people uncomfortable still today, especially in the Western culture. Why is it that we're so trained to hide our emotions? We say, well, it can't be emotions. It must be of the Spirit. Well, God gave you emotions. He has this incredible pouring out, lavish worship. And people get uncomfortable. <laughs> Can I just be blunt? Kevin said yes. You know how many times I have some people come to me and say, you know, you can't let people shout or do this. It's, it's just, it's a little much. I don't think that's my right. Because it's an extravagant worship of Jesus. Now, if the people's making it all about them, sure, we can deal with that. <laughs> but we need to be careful what can become control. You know, it makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> but how amazing it is. What happened? It says the whole house was filled with the fragrance of oil, of the anointing. When you worship with abandon from the heart, in the Western world, even at funerals, I've heard, I heard someone say this, it's interesting. Why is it that even at funerals we say, oh, don't cry? Why not? 
Why are we just shut down, shut down, shut down? Worship with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And some people dance. They're like, well, it's distracting. Well, then close your eyes. I mean, for goodness sake. Let them worship. Amen. Amen. So, so here it says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, John thought to put that in there, uh, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? That's a yearly rage, okay? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, because he, but he said because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put into it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this day for my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but me you do not always have. You know, it makes sense. It's the right thing to say. Let's give to the poor. True religion is to give to widows, to take care of widows and orphans. It's the right thing to say, but from the worst place. That's what religion looks like. Jesus said, no, she's done better. Does he mean to take a yearly wage and pour it out in a sense for nothing? But what's changed? What's practical about that? Jesus said, she's done the right thing. Religion, somebody said this, religion always emphasizes the outward, Jesus emphasizes the inward. You know, when the presence of God comes into the meeting, comes into a room, into the bedroom, and I know he's always with us, but there is something when the presence of God comes. And he comes when we adore him from adoration. How do we respond? (laughs) I'm challenged by her response. Now, she wasn't doing that every day, I understand. But there's a response sometimes that God puts on your heart that is outside of your box. I encourage you to do it. Because why? That worship fills the house with the fragrance of the Lord. That worship builds a place for a region to experience something of the Lord. Because she worshipped in a way that cost her. Financially, literally, physically, emotionally. Reputation, it cost her. What happened? Now a great, verse 9, now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, this is what I was saying earlier, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away, in other words, went away from them and believed in Jesus. So what does religion do? It kills a testimony that it doesn't understand. You can't share that. Why? Because that's outside of my theological box. So we have to silence that because you, you, know, you don't know what can happen. Well, maybe you don't know what can happen. It'll always silence the testimony. And when they can silence the testimony, they'll try to kill the king. So you can see the context still, the religious leaders trying to keep a cap on everything. Things are, Jesus is breaking out and they're like, no. Because it's their time to shine. It's Passover week. 
all the process and they get all the attention and all the pomp and ceremony and all the stuff, all the stuff they had added to God's law and all the religious things they had added. It's like, hey, this is our week, man. Now this guy, Jesus, is messing it all up. And we've got to shut it down and stop it. <laughs> so, let's read. The next day, verse 12, next verse. A great multitude that had come to the feast, now we know why they've come for Passover, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. This multitude, friends, we have to understand, is not people from Jerusalem. It's the multitude that followed. It's the multitude that walked with him. It's the multitude that came from all over. And they've heard Jesus is coming. It said in John eleven fifty five, we read it, even those who came before, when they stood in the temple, they were talking about Jesus. People came to speak to Lazarus. This is a Jesus crowd. Passionate about Jesus. All they want is Jesus. Sir, the Greeks came. Sir, we must see Jesus. That's what... The Bible says. They're looking for Jesus. They, they're talking about Jesus in the home, even in the temple when they're going through purification. They're looking for people that have had testimonies. Some of you are like this, which is wonderful. I heard God touched you. What happened? That's what's happening. They, they're looking. They, they're Jesus fanatics. And the religious system is trying to shut everything down, but there's coming a crowd that doesn't care. And they're not from there. They're walking into a political, religious storm. And all they want is Jesus Christ. So they hear, Jesus is coming. So what do they do? Well, let's read. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, which means what? Save now. It means save now. It's quoting Psalm 118. Psalm 118, it actually says, save now. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found the donkey, we'll go into Matthew 21 and look at that process, sat on it as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, that's Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So, here comes a crowd, Jesus passioned, Jesus fever, I said. They've gripped this crowd, they're walking into a nightmare, but they don't care. They take palm branches, they take clothes, and they lay their clothes on the ground. Actually, let's go to, can we go to Matthew 21? Flip back there, because we kind of gave you a warning about that. Matthew 21, verse 1, now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives... Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. You know, just interesting. A foal, a donkey, the foal of a donkey, that's the Zechariah prophecy. A foal is a donkey or a, in a sense a baby donkey, I don't want you, underneath a year. Jesus is not going to do that. It's going to damage the donkey. A colt is a male foal up to four years. Likely, we don't know, likely, that this donkey was born when Jesus started his ministry. Because the Lord prepares everything. Okay? And with her, loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. 
And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, this is Zechariah, tell the daughter of Zion, that's Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. That right there is the definition of a disciple. (laughs) The disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. John 12 verse 16 says his disciples did not understand these things at first. They didn't know it. They didn't understand it. They didn't know why. They said, you said it. We'll do it. That's a disciple. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set him, Christ, on them. And a very great multitude, now we know where that comes from, spread their clothes on the road and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitude who went before and those who followed. We know what that's about. So here comes Jesus. They heard his coming, back to John 12. They took branches palm trees. They went out to meet him, cried out, Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They began singing Psalm 118, a messianic psalm. This is the day that the Lord has made. And Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy out of Zechariah. So what's actually happening? Can I explain some of the, the key features of this? The palm, the clothes, the donkey. Very quickly. Can you guys do that with me? Palm trees. Why palm branches? Why? Because if we don't know, we don't understand, we miss something. Right? I don't know if you read the Bible like this, but I read like this, going, well, why? I want to know why. So I search and I pray and I study. Well, to them, it was looking back at what the, one of the Israel feasts called the Feast of Booths where they were commanded by the Lord to take palm trees and actually willow branches, another thing, but mostly palms, and they would build these booths that they would live in for seven days, called the Feast of Booths, seven days long. And they would do this as a reminder of God's salvation from Egypt, God bringing them out of Egypt, which is a picture of our salvation, bringing us out of the hand of slavery of sin. So they said, you know, so they go and do something, they go and get palm trees, right, and they start waving palm trees, it came from them from the celebration, meaning victory, meaning deliverance, meaning freedom. To them, it's political. Please understand, they don't understand what we know now. So to that crowd, they love Jesus. They want Jesus, but to them, he's the coming promise of the Messiah, which was a political kingdom that will last forever, like the king of, like King David, Hosanna, son of David, rescue us now, save us now, O David, even in the Mark text that says, the kingdom of David has come. They say, this is our political king. This is, we must declare him king, and the feast of booths, when we got delivered out of Egypt, he's going to deliver us from Rome. And they're worshiping him. <laughs> but that didn't happen. And so that worship faded. <laughs> but they're worshiping him. Because then, them, but actually what's happening, Jesus knows better. The chief need of man is not political, cultural, national, hist- 
any of that. It's a spiritual need. He said, I've come to set you free, not from Rome, from sin itself. That plagues every person that is born on the earth, the disease called sin, which you cannot do anything about. Because I can rescue you politically, nationally, culturally, financially. Within a few months, you'll be back. Why? Because of the heart and the nature of man. So they're worshiping and singing and they're putting their palm trees saying, it's like we were set free from Egypt. It's freedom. Rescue now, Jesus. And they worship. And then it also says, they laid their clothes on the road. Actually, can I go back? Sorry, I missed one thing. That's so wonderful. John, who wrote, obviously, the book of John, also wrote Revelation. And only John specifies that they were palm trees palm branches, but in Revelation, which he wrote, he said this, Revelation 7, verse 9 to 10, after this I, look, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, this was happening naturally, because people came from all the different nations for the Passover, but now we're looking in Revelation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, they were there before for the purification rites, Hello? Clothed like that? With palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So these people are looking for political freedom. They don't even realize they are prophesying what's going to come and what's going to happen from eternity's perspective. What's going to happen in heaven when Jesus comes back? They don't even know of it. They're thinking of themselves and worshiping with abandon, which is awesome. But that didn't happen. And they're like, but actually, without knowing it, they're prophesying. This is what's coming. And they actually instituted a new feast of booths. Why did they say that? Well, it lasted seven days. Passion Week, seven days. The old feast of booths, seven days they did this. <laughs> Are you with me? What's the clothes about? Well, a great multitude, as Matthew, we read in Matthew 21, spread their clothes on the road. Also the disciples. First note this. First the disciple of Jesus, Mary, she was with the twelve. So she, she wasn't one of them, but she was always with them. So one of Jesus' close followers, let's call them leaders. She worships with abandon. Then the crowd worships with abandon. One of Jesus, some of Jesus' Jesus' disciples are going to get the donkey. They lay their clothes on the donkey. Then the crowd does the same. It comes from authority. Leaders cannot expect people to do where they haven't gone first. Hello. So they lay their clothes on the road. Why? It was a way of proclaiming a new king. That was a Middle Eastern way of proclaiming a new king. Jesus had already proclaimed himself king by coming in on a donkey, which we'll look at next. But there had to be agreement from the crowd. Now, there's something in, in, in hermeneutics and study of scripture which is called the law of first mention. When was this the first time that this ever happened in the scripture? Well, you know when it happened? When King Jehu defeated Jezebel. When he defeated Jezebel, she was thrown from the window, she died. He stopped that whole kingdom and they came and they put their clothes under Jehu to declare him king. 
There are many ways to declare a king in this culture. Many. Why did they choose this one? I don't know if they knew, but I know. Because Jesus comes to build a kingdom that is the opposite of the kingdom of Jezebel. See, Jezebel and Ahab were God's, in a sense, from, God's, from within God's people in a sense, but they built a kingdom that was literally opposite of everything God said. False prophets, not real prophets. Sexual morality, which is false affection. Everything was as the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of darkness. Jesus comes to establish a kingdom of love and of justice and of purity and of authority. The exact opposite of real, restoring the genuine prophetic, the voice of God with his people. Jesus comes to establish that. <laughs> a kingdom of God that has no end to restore his presence. And why a donkey? Rejoice greatly. This is the prophetic word that he fulfilled. O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus is not only fulfilling scripture. There's a quote that may come up behind you. In the Middle Eastern world, leaders rode horses if they rode to war, but donkeys if they came in peace. And there's all the scriptures you can go look. Judges 5.10, Judges 10.4, Judges 12.14, for those who are taking notes. 2 Samuel 16, 1 Kings, I mean 2 Kings even mentions when Solomon was pronounced king, he rode on David's mule. Because his name means peace. Solomon, shalom, peace. So there's a lot of imagery. All I know is that religion puts up barriers. Jesus comes to pull them down. Because Ephesians 2 says he came to preach peace to those who were far and peace to those who were near, removing the wall of separation. Religion is good at keeping people out. Even if you went to the temple in the Old Testament, if you were a Gentile, you had to stand in the Gentile court, which was the outer court. If you were a Jewish woman, you could go closer. If you were a Jewish male, you could go closer. Jewish priest, you could go closer. Jewish high priest, you could go closer. Religion is good at keeping people out. Jesus comes to smash all that separation. Peace, the donkey. Peace as a king to those who are far and to those who are near. Smash all of that and have my people that can hear my voice, that is my family, yes, that's seated at the table with me, that I eat with. So here's this crowd. They begin to sing Psalm 118 and they begin to declare, this is the day. This is that day. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is the Messiah. First time public declaration of Jesus as king. The Pharisees, now they're trying to shut down, remember? Saying, we've got to stop this. This guy's raising people from the dead. So they're trying to shut down. They're in the crowd in the Luke version of the story. It actually says some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Because they knew Jesus knew what was happening. They're like, this guy is allowing them to declare him Messiah. And he's coming on a cult, on a foal. He's fulfilling a prophecy. He's declaring himself king. And they're all agreeing. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. What does he say? If they were silent, the stones would immediately cry out. I like the word immediately. 
the stones would immediately cry out. So what was the result? Well, I'll read it to you. When he had come into Jerusalem, actually that's Matthew 21 verse 9. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, save now, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? That's the people in Jerusalem. The whole city of Jerusalem was moved. You know that moved, that word means shaken. That's the Hebrew. The city was shook, was shaken. You know when you get bad news and it shakes you, or good news? It's the same actually word when Herod got the news about Jesus being born. It says he was shaken. The whole city shook because of the response of God's people in worship to the coming of the king. To such a degree that the city was shaken and they said, who is this man? Who is he? This is Jerusalem. And they have no idea. And these were, can I, these were the real Jews. There was like a class system. If you lived in Jerusalem, you were like real. And here come the rabble from the country. These are Jesus' people. Here come the people who haven't, you know, they don't, they're not as good. But they knew Jesus. And they loved Jesus. And they come into this political, religious storm. All they want, Jesus Christ. And they declare him king. Why? Because they've walked with Jesus. They've seen the miracles. They've spoken to Lazarus. They're saying he's the Messiah. It's kind of a big day. And what does Jesus know? He knows something in his heart which is tragic. As soon as I don't do what they think I should, they'll leave. Some of those people were probably the people who cried out, crucify him. <laughs> so Jesus comes in. What's his response? He's weeping over Jerusalem. He comes in on the donkey. And after that, he w looks at Jerusalem and he weeps. And he says, oh daughter, how you've missed the day of your visitation. In other words, you have no idea who I am and I'm the king. I'm the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And the important people, the religious people, they have no idea who I am. But my people, they know me from the heart. The people who everyone else says are nothing, I love them. And I know them and they know me. And it's like that today. <laughs> Mary... I've got a cough. <coughs> Sorry. Mary did not understand what she was doing. Jesus said, leave her. She's preparing my burial. They used to anoint before burial. They would have been like, what? What are you talking about? Even though he told them, she's just worshiping. She didn't have spiritual prophetic understanding. This is what I'm doing. She didn't understand. Lazarus was not aware of his role. He was testifying, the Bible says, of what Jesus had done. And people were coming to hear his story. 
but he didn't know what he was doing, causing people to believe in Jesus, causing people to leave the, 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 the system, causing the people, the Pharisees to be mad, which actually ended with them killing Jesus. He didn't know what he was doing. His own disciples, John 12 said it, says, his own disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written. Then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. They were partnering, fulfilling prophecy. They didn't know. They were just being obedient. They went and did as Jesus had said. The people, the crowd, they didn't know. The crowd, think about this, friends. The crowd had no idea why Jesus was really riding into Jerusalem. They thought one thing. Jesus knew it was something else. Nobody knew, not Mary, not, not the crowd, not Lazarus, not the disciples. None of them knew what was actually going on. And yet every single one of them played a part. Why? Because they loved Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes, and this is the main point, if I had one. Sometimes you just got to, this is what happened in the Bible and we don't see it. Sometimes, in order to gain spiritual understanding, God will wait for you to do something when you don't understand. Who were the only ones who were trying to control it because they didn't understand? The Pharisees. They didn't understand. So that we must shut this down because we know better. And we know more. And we're the real, real Christians. This can't be of God. That can't. We must shut this down. We must control the situation. We must kill the testimony. And if we can't kill him, we must kill the king. We must take control of the situation. Religious, religious, religious. The rest of them, they just loved Jesus. The disciples obeyed Jesus. Whatever you say, Lord, we'll do it. When the church, at times, I understand we grow in understanding, but when the church will give up their right to understand because it makes them feel better, makes them feel, and just do what he says, and worship him with abandon, God's plans and agendas will come to pass. Over and over and over. Hello? I'll leave it there. You know, I had all these other points to say, but we're out of time. You know, the Bible says this in Zechariah 14, the same guy who prophesied Jesus will come on the colt on the fall of a donkey. He also prophesied that there's coming another day. And he's talking about when the Lord comes back. And he says, for some, I'm paraphrasing, when he comes back, it'll be great and terrible. <laughs> and it says, what, when Jesus ascended, what did the angels say to the disciples that were standing on the Mount of Olives where he descended? He will come in like manner. Zechariah says, his feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives. <laughs> he will come back to the place where he left and the Bible says in Revelations, he's not coming on a donkey. He's coming on a horse. 
Yeah. And think about this. A horse is war. Says I'm coming on a white horse. And the name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. With a rod of iron, I will judge the nations. And my feet will set down on the Mount of Olives. And everyone will know who I am. Because on this day, this is the day that the Lord has made. He came from the Mount of Olives. He will come again from that place. And he will come and set up the kingdom of David. And he will sit on David's throne. And he will restore creation just as he has removed sin. And he will restore you. And he will change things. And they will be forever. Forever. I'm encouraging you, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I'm asking you, give up your right to understand first and put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you struggle to worship with abandon, give up your right for dignity and worship Him from your heart. If you are here today and you, you know, when things happen and I, I, I'm really trusting God, but it didn't happen like I thought, don't shout crucify Him. Keep worshiping Him. Because he is still the king. And he's doing stuff you know nothing about. That's Palm Sunday. Amen? Amen. Amen.